sin is a part of everybody. Doing something bad. When I hear the word sin, um, I feel a lot of things. Shame, I feel guilt. Taboo, bad, you don't talk about or you do in hushed whispers in certain circles of friends or certain conversations. Make mistakes, um, some of them more grand than others. To sin is human. I would define sin as anything that comes between you and your relationship with Jesus. If you are having a moral issue, probably going to be dealing with some sin. Kindness would be its opposite. I think without kindness, we would have a lot of sin. But I think kindness is what makes our hearts able to ask for forgiveness. Let's celebrate being at church together today. So glad that you're here with us. Online family, we love you. Uh, Why don't you in the chat type in where you're watching from. We'd love to know where you're at today and how we can be praying for you as well. Uh, But if you're new to ACF, welcome. We're kind of doing a hard start here this morning. And the reason is because it is baptism week. So we love that uh, opportunity to get baptized. We do this every month. We fill up the tank. And we invite you, if you've never been baptized, to make today your day. Uh, It's a balmy, like 80-something degrees. The water's warm. Don't worry. We've got shorts and t-shirts for you. Literally everything you need to get baptized today if you've never been baptized. And if you don't know what baptism is, uh, it, it is simply a public declaration of the faith that you have in Jesus. And I'll tell you, like, if you don't live a a public faith, you're going to struggle to have power in your faith. Like, a a private faith is a powerless faith. And so uh, we want to live a public faith, and uh, and we want to honor God and and just kind of tell the people around us, like, Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. And if you've never done that, maybe you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, I want to encourage you, today is your day. Uh, Maybe you got baptized as an infant, and you didn't make that decision for yourself. And uh, you're just kind of like, oh, I got baptized. I didn't, I didn't choose that. Well, I want to encourage you today. Maybe have that conversation. And maybe you'd like to make that decision for yourself to get baptized today. So whatever it may be, uh, you can check in in the lobby. Uh, we've got some first impressions people out there. If you're with us online, get in your car. You got like, I don't know, like 30 minutes to get here. So uh, show up and uh, we'll baptize you. So anyway, uh, we are starting a brand new series today. Um, and, and we'll get into that a little bit more too. I, I want to acknowledge we're actually on a road to Easter right now. And and maybe you're not even thinking about Easter yet, but it is coming, friends. We just had Ash Wednesday. And uh, here's kind of the big announcement. We are doing Easter this year at Eagle River High School as a church. And so uh, we'll be tuned. Yeah, we can celebrate that. We're excited about it. Uh, It's a huge space that we can actually get a lot of people in uh, to that that school. And every year, our goal is to increase the percentage of Eagle River that shows up to Easter uh, with us. And so I think last year was like 7% of our city. So we're praying for 8% this year. We'd gather together for Easter in Eagle River. So excited about that coming. And And I'll tell you this too, for this series, uh, we're talking about something really exciting, sin. We're talking about sin, which some of you are like, well, it's church, so I would think you'd talk about sin. But really what we're doing is we are setting a stage for Easter. Um, We're setting a stage for uh, really being able to enjoy what God has done through Christ at Easter. And so we're talking about sin leading into Easter, and then we're doing a series starting on Easter Sunday uh, all about the victory that we have uh, through Christ. And so really excited about that. We also have a, uh, a booklet that we've created 
that is a study guide for you. And so you can, you can download this at our ACF Church app. Just make sure you download that on your phone and you'll see a little link there to uh, get this booklet. And I really want to encourage you over the next six weeks to join in the conversation. Maybe after church today, grab a few friends, go get some coffee and ask the questions. Like, hey, what did you think about that talk today? And and what did you agree with? What did you disagree with? Where do you struggle in this area? Uh, Maybe if you're with a small group, I really want to ask you to take a break from whatever it is that you're discussing and join in this conversation for this series. I think it's really going to grow us here together and uh, really excited about that. But the reason we want to talk about this, if you're like, okay, uh, sin series, I'll come back after Easter. Um, The reason we want to talk about this is this, we believe that the cross only has meaning and we only have purpose as much as we understand why Jesus came. The cross only has meaning and we only have purpose when we understand and how much we understand that Jesus came because we are sinners, because we needed a rescuer. And if you've ever been to an Easter service and, and kind of thought, well, it didn't really do anything for me, it wasn't really a big deal, it's probably because you're not aware of your sin. You're not aware of how desperately you need a rescuer. But I'm just telling you, the more aware we are of how broken the world is, the more thankful we will become for the grace of Christ. Does that make sense? And so that's what we're doing over the course of this series. And so I think we should pray. I think we should start off by praying together as we get into this today. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. We want to acknowledge that you don't exist for our entertainment, but we exist for your glory. God, there are those in the room today who have been fighting their sin for a long time. God, there are those who have stopped fighting, and there are those who have not yet begun to fight. Father, give us the courage and the conviction we need over the next six weeks to see the real us so that we might encounter the real you. We pray it all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever been in traffic or standing in a line or in a situation where you've asked this question before, what in the world is wrong with you? (laughs) Have you ever looked at your kids and said this, what in the world is wrong with you? Are there people in this world that, let's be honest, you might judge a little? You might be kind of like, man, what's wrong with this person? How could any human being think that way, act that way, say those things? Um, so I'll be, I'll be real. I'm not perfect. I, uh, I struggle once in a while. Um, there is a group of people that I, I struggle um, with judging, and it's people who leave their shopping carts out in the parking lot um, at the grocery. We got some clappers. And uh, whenever I talk about this, I always get emails from people, you know, who are like, you know, excuses as to why. I'm just telling you, like, you need to put your cart back. Just in the name of Jesus, I pray, put your cart back. This is just a thing for me. And uh, you can send me an email to josh at ACFAK. Anyway, um, you're welcome, buddy. What in the world is wrong with you? Uh, But here's the deal. Whenever we begin to judge other people, um, there is, I think, the reality is we start to notice things in ourselves. And whenever I, I, I cast judgment on someone else and say, what in the world is wrong with you? I immediately think, well, what in the world is wrong with me? Because there are some things some big things, deep things, things that none of you know about that are wrong with me. And there are things in your life that no one here knows about that are wrong with you. So what is wrong? And and, and what do you even call those things that are wrong? Well, in our society, there's a lot of labels that we give to the things that are wrong in the world. Um, Many people don't use the word sin, but they just kind of call them the bad things, right? 
They're called the bad things, the bad things that are wrong with the world, the bad things that are wrong with people, and the bad things that are wrong with me. And universally, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, there are things that we tend to agree uh, are wrong. And it's not all things, but there are certain things that we would say and agree, these things are wrong, these things don't lead to life and health uh, around us, right? There's rage, there's greed, there's lust, there's a lack of self-control, there's selfishness, there's laziness, right? And then we go inside of ourselves and we start to ask questions like, what's wrong with me? Why do I keep calling him? Why do I keep going there? Why do I keep hurting her? And we start downward spiraling, trying to figure out like, what in the world is wrong with me? These bad things that show up in our lives. Well, here's what I want to start with, is that the bad things are actually one thing called sin. All the bad things, all the things that we would universally agree are wrong with the world are one thing, and they're called sin, right? And it's important that we understand that, and that's the word the Bible uses for what's wrong in the world, for what's wrong within us. And it's important that we understand that there are things that are just simply universally wrong. And as Christians, where do we find the truth about those things? The Word of God, right? So we go back to the Scriptures to understand what is wrong with the world and what God's design for human flourishing actually is. And because we have the Bible, in many ways, we as Christians are the only ones that have any firm ground to stand on when it comes to saying certain things are wrong and certain things are right. Because without there being a lawgiver, God himself, who, who are you, who, who am I, to say that anything is wrong, right? And, and the, the truth is we need a lawgiver. We need a right and wrong that exists. And otherwise, we end up with this kind of like relative right and wrong, and what's wrong for you is right for me. And again, this is the so- society we tend to live in, is this world that we don't really know what to call right and wrong. And so the question then about sin or about these bad things is where do the bad things come from? So there are things that are bad, then the question is, what is the source of these bad things? And in in our society, there are a lot of common answers for what's wrong with the world. If you ask your friend who doesn't follow Jesus, hey, where do the bad things in the world come from? You'll get some answers like this. Uh, Politics, right? If we just get the right guy in office, everything would be better, right? And I'll tell you, I'm all for getting the right guy in office, but it's not going to fix all of our problems. Where do the bad things come from? You might say, well, it's our up upbringing, right? This is common today. Just blame mom and dad. It's always mom and dad's problem. That's why things are broken in the world. Maybe it's genetics. Maybe it's the educational system. (laughs) Maybe you married men have said it's because of her mother. Careful with that one, by the way. Uh, Get you in some trouble. Maybe it's other things. Maybe it's societal systems. Maybe you blame white privilege. Maybe you blame woke theology. Maybe you blame communism or patriotism. Am I stepping on some toes at church yet? This, these are the things that get thrown around in our society of like, if we'd fix this, everything would be better. Where do the bad things come from? Well, the beautiful thing is the, the Word of God gives us an answer to this question. Romans chapter 5. Uh, and by the way, we're going to be in, uh, in Romans a lot throughout this series because the book of Romans is like a, a systematic theology of what's wrong with the world and the solution to sin, and it's Jesus. Just spoiler alert, right? It's Christ. He's the answer to all of this. So Romans 5 talks about where this began. It says this, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, okay? So this is where, if you're like, where do the bad things come from? Here it is. Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. 
So if you know the story, if uh, you've been in the church for a little while, you know in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? And he placed mankind in the earth. We have Adam, we have Eve, and it's perfect. Perfect communion with God, perfect communion with one another. Everything is perfect. They're giving total freedom to, uh, to fill the earth and subdue it, and yet there was one thing they couldn't do, right? And that was to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and again, as time goes on, as the story goes on, the one thing they weren't to do was the one thing they did. And as you read the story of Adam and Eve, you can judge them or you can relate to them, which is what I do, right? I go, okay, I get that. God gives me all of this freedom. He says, don't do this. And I go, that's just what I want to do, right? And so we know that Eve is tempted and gives into temptation to eat of the fruit. Then she gives the fruit to Adam. Adam eats of the fruit and then sin enters into the world. In the next few moments of the story, we see God calling to Adam and Eve who are hiding themselves, right? They realized they were naked and they felt shame. And we see God says, Adam, where are you? And you might think, well, why does God call Adam? And the reason is Adam has a specific responsibility over what had happened there. Right? So, so Eve fell into temptation. Adam, this was the first act of male passivity, where he said, hey, okay, wife, whatever you want, I'll do it too. And he just went on into it, right? And so sin enters the world and everything is broken. So God doesn't say, Eve, where are you? He says, Adam, where are you? Because he's saying, hey, you have a responsibility. You did not care for your family in that moment. You gave in to temptation. And then sin entered the world. Things were broken as we experience here today. And then death spread to everyone. Do you know you weren't designed for death? This is why death is so, it's so hard to understand. If you've ever seen someone die, you know that it's confusing to the mind. It doesn't make sense because it was never intended to be something you'd experience. So death entered the world and then sin entered everyone and we all sinned. So in other words, the bad things or sin is something we are all guilty of. Nobody here shows up to church and is like, yeah, but me, right? Like, I'm clear of it. No, we are all guilty of sin, which entered the world. And, and so this is, this is the beginning of what's wrong. This is the beginning of the issues with the world around us. And so what actually is sin? I've got a list for you of a few things that the Bible says sin is. The first is this. Sin is a turning inward. It's a turning inward. And uh, if, you're, if you're anything like me, the more obsessed with myself I get, um, the worse my life gets. I never get better when I get obsessed with myself. It doesn't make my life better, my family's life better. It always makes things worse. Sin is also a condition, not just an action. In other words, we can't just keep treating the fruit. We have to get to the root. There is a condition. This is what's problem, the, the problem with the self-help movement is that like you at a deep level have a sin issue. And if you keep treating the, 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 the problems that are external, you're never actually going to fix the issue that's going on here. So either you treat the issues or you just ignore them altogether. You don't want to deal with the condition. It's the person that doesn't want to go to the doctor because they know that they're sick, right? Uh, it's kind of like, <laughs> I noticed this uh, yesterday. I have, I have leaking in my, in my uh, bedroom. Anybody else's roof leaking right now? This is like an Alaskan issue right now. Like we have ice on our roofs. It's crazy. Um, and I, had, I just walked into my bedroom and saw this bloop, dripping at the window on my windowsill, which really made me happy. And I walked over there and I was just disgusted. I'm like, are you kidding me? Because if you know anything about houses, water leaks are terrible on a house. And uh, 
So I'm looking at it, and I was just, I had other stuff on my mind. I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. So you know what I did? I just pulled the curtain and walked away. I was like, I, I got no time for this. I'm just not happy. And, and that tends to be what we do with our sins sometimes. We forget. It's a condition. It's not just an action, right? There's something deep going on there, and uh, I, can't, I can catch it with buckets and stuff like that, but at some point, I've got to get on my roof and shovel that stupid thing off, fix the ice issue. And uh, if you want to come over to my house and help shovel tonight, um, looking for volunteers. Another thing, sin is both corporate and it's personal. Do you know that uh, your decisions end up affecting my life? And that my decisions end up affecting your life? That that God doesn't see us as simply individuals. He sees us as a community. And uh, this is hard for us as hyper-individualistic Americans because we think, well, as long as I'm doing the right thing, that's all that matters. No, no, no. No, we are a community. We're a people. And, uh, and, and it's something that we all are affected by. In fact, if you think about Adam, like in that moment, when he ate of that fruit, do you think he was thinking, man, you know, in 2023, ACF Church is going to be talking about me. And they're going to be like, you idiot, why did you eat of the fruit? And he, no, of course not. He, he, was, he was in the moment. And most of us, we don't live that way. We don't think like the way I act today, the things I choose to do with my life today in Thousands of years, they'll be looking back and going, remember when Brian Cook did this? You know, like, I don't think like that, but the truth is our decisions ripple down in generations, right? They actually move forward and they affect all kinds of people in a powerful way. Um, sin also numbs our hearts. Uh, there's, a, there's a point where if you walk long enough in unrepentant sin, you'll stop feeling God. Uh, maybe you've been there before or you're, you're there today where you're at church and you're like, yeah, um, when the band's singing, I feel nothing. When uh, we read the Word of God, we read about the grace of Jesus, I feel nothing. And at, over time, there's a lot of times there's something in your heart where you have allowed sin to live inside of you, given a foothold to the devil, and now no longer, uh, there's no longer feeling in your heart. Sin also makes us less human. Uh, it, it, because here's what we know, is that living the life that God has for us is to be human. Like God designed humanity a certain way. And so the way for you to experience your, your humanity at its deepest level is to live as God designed you to live. So you actually become less human when you sin. Sin also turns people into objects. Uh, have you ever done this where you've been just raging at someone or speaking about someone like they're just sort of a thing and not a human? And that's what happens is that sin dehumanizes other people. And then once again, with our last statement, sin, because you dehumanize someone else, it also dehumanizes you, right? This is like the issue of, uh, of pornography. If you, if you look at pornography long enough, you turn that person into like an object, right? And, and the longer you turn a human into an object, the more you actually objectify yourself. And the more you lose your humanity as well, because you don't you don't actually objectify other people without objectifying yourself. That's how it works. And so sin ultimately turns people into objects. Sin is actually at the root of everything evil. Um, even if, again, you're not a Christian here today, you would probably say there's things in the world that are like evil, right? Completely wrong, which would, you'd be right about. And at the root of that thing is sin. Sin is also generational. Uh, I think about this a lot as a dad. I ask this question, what are the things that I'm doing today that my kids will be sitting in counseling for in 10 years, right? Going, I remember what my dad said, you know. I remember what my dad did. Like, and, I, and here's the hard thing. As parents, we know, I just want to break it to you. There's going to be those things. 
As good of a parent as you think you are, you will do things wrong that will hurt your kids and affect them, and it'll affect their kids, and, and that's just how it works. Now, our goal, right, is to pass as few of those things down as possible. And if you're a parent, you probably have a list like I do of things of like, here's some things that mom and dad or grandma and grandpa did that I don't want to give to my children, right? Here are some gifts I would like to give to my children. And the goal would be that we would slowly do better. And yet the truth is, like, we continue to struggle. Sin is also attractive. Can we be real in church? I don't know if you guys are ready for that. But like sin is attractive. There are things about sin that it are, is like momentarily pleasing to ourselves. Like we, we can enjoy finally saying that thing that we've been wanting to say to that person for years. Now, it might be really destructive, but in the moment, like it feels, feels good. Sin also creates shame. Uh, if you've ever been there where um, there's a sin in your life where you just don't want to go to church on Sunday. Maybe you barely made it here today or you're barely watching online today because you did something yesterday or you've wandered into some kind of sin and it, it, it causes you to feel shame. And that shame causes most people to disconnect from community and from God. Shame. And back to the garden, right? Back to that moment in the garden where it was perfect. Back before sin entered the world, we read that there was man and there's woman, and they were naked, and they were unashamed. And we're all like, that's kind of weird. But that's how it was. And, and it wasn't so much just about their physical nakedness. It was at a spiritual level. They were fully known by God, fully known by each other, and fully loved. And what you need to know is that that's the desire of every human being. I mean, at our root level, the one thing we really do want is to be fully known and be fully loved. And the one person that can offer that to us is Jesus himself. Because he knows all things about us, yet he still loves us, right? Sin also angers God because uh, he's a good father. And uh, I hate it when my kids do things that hurt themselves. And I hate it when my kids do things that hurt other people. And so God gets angry. We read of God's anger with the Israelites. His anger as sin enters the world and, and the people give into that sin and it destroys them. And then God disciplines them. And, and when we read those, we're like, man, God he seems really mad. It's because he is. He's really mad because we're doing things that destroy us. And he loves us so much. Like, he wouldn't be a loving father if sin didn't anger him. In just the same way that you wouldn't be a loving parent if you're like, yeah, kids, do whatever you want. I don't care. You know? So it angers him. It it frustrates him when we walk in in sin. And so what we need is like a working definition of sin as we walk through this. And um, there, there are a few definitions that we're going to work through as we move forward because there's so many different facets of sin. But the working definition of sin we're going to use today is this. Sin is missing the mark of God's character and perfection. It's just to miss the mark. And when I read that um, this week, I was thinking in terms of like, like being a marksman or somebody who, who shoots a rifle. Some of you are hunters and you, know, you, you shot a rifle before you shot at a target. And you know the goal is to hit the mark, right? The goal is to hit the bullseye. Uh, my daughter, she is in riflery in school, and, uh, which I didn't know that was like a sport, and, and it is. God bless Alaska. It's awesome. And she always jokes about it. She's like, Dad, I found the sport where I get to lay down. And uh, that's what she does. She's laying there, takes a shot. She spent a lot of time at the range. And it's really awesome watching her progress and get better and better at shooting. And the goal is to continue to practice in order to hit the mark, hit the bullseye, Right? And, and when you become a Christian, that's, that tends to be what we think. Like, okay, now my job is to hit the bullseye. And we think if we can hit the bullseye, then we'll be at peace with ourselves and peace with God. 
Like once I get myself figured out, once I get this sin area knocked out, I can be at peace with God. Some of you are like, Brian, I do, I'll get baptized once I fix this issue in my life. Like, like that's when I'll know that I'm ready to get baptized is once I fix my sin, once I hit the bullseye. And so in our journey to try to hit the bullseye in life, in the bullseye I would, ca- I would call holiness, right? Perfection, right? If sin is when we miss God's character and perfection, then the goal is to hit the mark, right? To hit the bullseye. And in order to do that, we take a lot of different approaches. And the first I would call uh, the shotgun approach. The shotgun approach, right? If you know anything about a shotgun, it shoots like five or 600 BBs. And it's kind of like, well, one of these are going to hit, hopefully, you know? The goal is to kind of like try a lot of options and hopefully it's going to hit. And that's how some people work is they think, well, I'm just going to try all the options. I'm just going to be really religious. I'm going to do all of these different things for God. If I can just do enough for God, at some point, I'll hit the, hit the bullseye, right? At some point, I'll be, I'll be perfected. I'll feel good about myself. I'll feel okay. That's the shotgun approach. But Romans 5.20, it says this. It says, God's law was given. Here, here's why it was given. So that all people could see how to hit the bullseye, right? No, right? God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, don't miss this, it's so good, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So some of you, when you, you're, you get a rule book, you're like, I'm following the rules, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do it, right? I'm going to nail it. And here's the journey that I've been on. I'm going to be r- really honest with you. Throughout my life, um, there's been moments where God has made my sin very visible, and some layer has been pulled away, and, and it's very clear that, Brian, you are messed up in this area. And in that moment, I have a decision to make. Am I going to repent? Am I going to be honest with God and honest with myself and make amends and move forward? Or am I going to ignore it? You know, pull the curtain. And uh, maybe I deal with that thing. And I've dealt with a lot of things in my life. And I think, man, okay, well, maybe I'm there. Maybe I, hit, maybe I just hit the bullseye. Maybe I finally have arrived. And then weeks, months later, God will remove another layer. And all of a sudden, I'm like, who knew that was there, Right? And this is the journey of a Christian. We think like, if I can fix this, then I'm like, I've, I've arrived at holiness. But I'm just telling you, you will spend the rest of your life understanding how deeply and desperately you need the grace of Jesus. And the more you can embrace that, that the goal, the goal is to go on that journey and to pursue holiness, which we'll talk about. But on the journey to do that, the goal isn't, I mean, as much as you want to hit the bullseye, you need to understand, like, you're never going to hit it. You will never walk in perfection this side of, of, uh, of eternity. Like that's coming for you when you are perfected, but you are on a journey of sanctification. God is making you holy. And people who are like, well, I think I achieved it, that's how really uh, unhealthy religious people are created, is they stop peeling away the layers. But if, if I'm honest, man, I got layers and things that God is like, you're not even ready to see this darkness in your heart, Brian. If I reveal that to you today, you'd be crushed by it. So I'm just in my grace going to going to give you a couple years, then show it to you. And that's true of all of us. We're on this journey of realizing how desperately we need the grace of Jesus. So maybe you, you do the shotgun approach. You're just like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all the things. I'm going to fulfill the law, and, and then I'm going to feel good about myself. And the truth is, man, you're just going to realize more and more that you're off the target. Tim Keller says this. He says, beneath any particular sin is the sin of rejecting Christ's salvation and indulging in self-salvation. And this really is what we tend to do. When we get a hold of the law, we get a hold of the Bible, we're like, okay, here's all the things that we need to do. What we're trying to do is we're trying to save ourselves. 
If we don't understand what Jesus has done for us, we don't understand that we're saved by grace through faith alone, right? We're going to try to do these things that are in themselves are maybe good things for the wrong reasons in order to try to save ourselves, be okay with God. And, and so what you end up with is a lot of really moral Christians that don't actually live the life God has for them. A lot of, you know, moral upright citizens that don't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit because they're like, I think I'm pretty good on my own. And you need to understand this today. Like, your moral life might keep you out of prison, but it will not keep you out of hell. Only Jesus can save us from hell. Only Jesus can rescue us from death and destruction. And so you need to be careful going like, if I can just, I'm just going to hit the bullseye and I'm going to nail it. The truth is you're not. You can always get better. And any real marksman knows you can always get closer to the center. You can always do a little bit better. So you might try the uh, shotgun approach. The other thing you might do is uh, you might blame the gun, right? It's like, what's wrong with this thing? Doesn't it? Give me a new one, right? And what I mean by that is that sometimes we just say, well, it's just who I am. You ever said that before? Honey, that's just who I am. I just, I'm an angry person sometimes. I just say things without thinking. It's just who I am, right? And again, that's, what that's doing is it's like, it's blaming the gun. It's like, well, God, you screwed this up, right? You're really essentially, like, essentially saying, well, God, you messed it up, so it's really your fault. And so we don't take ownership of the decisions that we make. We just sort of, you know, blame the gun. So you have to understand this, like, <laughs> and the Bible's so very clear, is that apart from Jesus, we are not good people. And this is hard to soak in. I know the word sin is offensive in our world today. And this is even more offensive because we like to think that we're good people. I always make fun of that stupid country song that's like, I believe that people are good. I'm like, no, we're not. I'm like screaming at the radio. It's, some of you haven't heard that song. And you can look it up later. Anyway, it's, uh, I'm just like, no. I, I, if we were good, we'd be getting better. If at, if at our root, humanity was good, then we would be on a trajectory of getting better. Is that, is that happening? Like, as you look at the world, you're like, oh yeah, we're really getting better. We're starting to love each other better. Like, people are caring for one another. Like, we're getting better. No, we're destroying one another. I mean, just look, we, this is with the, these excuses that we put out there or these things that we blame for what's wrong in the world. We think it's an environmental issue. It's a sin issue. It's at the depths of who we are. We are sinners. Because look at the garden, right? So in the garden, you've got Adam, Eve, perfect uh, location, you know, like all the food they could want. Again, they're naked and unashamed, which I don't know, it might have been fun for them. And so like they're, they're enjoying each other. They're enjoying this place. Everything's perfect environmentally, and that's where sin entered the world. So if you think if we can fix the environment, then we'll get better, the truth is, the perfect environment existed. God created it, and we still screwed it up. And so it's not an environmental issue. It's within our hearts. We, at our root, apart from Jesus, are not good. We are prone to sin, prone to destruction, prone to selfishness. You know, I, I just, I see that in my life so very clearly. Romans 5.18 says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. Here's the good news. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Amen to that. So this is what's so important is if you're just squirming in your seat, you're like, this, there's too much sin in this sermon, Brian. Like, you can't understand the good news until you hear the bad news, right? You got to hear how bad the bad news is to appreciate the good news. And we got to be honest about it. 
And this is a beautiful passage that we've, we've all been condemned because sin entered the world, but we can all be made righteous through Christ. So what do you do when you're missing the mark? Don't blame the gun. Don't try the shotgun approach. If I can just be more religious, then maybe God will love me. Here's the deal. When you're missing the mark, learn to love the range. Learn to love the range. Now, what is the range? The range is a place that reveals your weakness. The range is a place where, you know, you you shoot and you see, ah, I got some work to do. And this is the journey that we're on as Christians is that if you're willing to go there, if you're willing to be honest with God and to say, God, would you show me who I am? And if you're willing to be honest with yourself when things are falling apart in your life and see your part that you have to play in it, when you understand who Christ has made you and how he's changed you, you don't have to run from the truth. You don't have to run from seeing how things are. And that's how many people get, it's why people don't like to read the Bible. Because the Bible is a mirror. The Bible shows us how messed up we are. So like, man, it doesn't make me feel good. It's why people don't want to go to church sometimes. It's like, I, I know if I go to church, God's going to show me uh, something that's wrong with me. He's going to show me my weakness. And so I don't want to go. But people who love the range are people who are on a journey and they're motivated to pursue holiness, not for their salvation, but because of their salvation. Does that make sense? Like you're not trying to get saved by, by, by doing the right thing. You're trying to do the right thing because you've been saved. And so the grace of Jesus is sufficient. There's condemnation on all people. And yet Christ's righteousness gives us a right relationship with him. When you're missing the mark, learn to love the journey. Learn to love the range. Learn to love the, the opportunity for God to reveal your weakness to you because that's an invitation to something better in your life. If sin really is a, a lack of you experiencing your, your full humanity, if sin really is a turning inward, if sin is all those things that are wrong, then when you are, are, are shown that and God reveals that to you, he's inviting you into something better. What a gift. What an opportunity that is. You don't have to be scared of that. So we have to understand that Christ has made us new. He's healed us. And when God sees you on the journey, I think he is filled with joy. Like, I don't know what you think of God, what kind of father you imagine when you think of God, but most of us think of condemnation. Uh, Many people think when I screw up, when I don't hit the mark, God's like, you should just quit. And here's what I want to tell you is that if you miss the mark and you hear a voice in your head that says you should just quit, that's not God, that's the devil himself. Like, when you don't miss, you don't, don't hit the mark, like that's an invitation to try again, is what that is. When we were at the range a few weeks ago with my daughter, and we had another friend of ours there who's this amazing marksman, and uh, he just, he knows all these, these tricks and tips on like how to hold your body and like the posture and, and just how to, how to squeeze the trigger right. And so he's teaching my daughter, I'm just watching this go on, and he is such a teacher, he has such like the heart of a teacher. And so she would pull the trigger and she'd miss and get really frustrated. And he was like, oh, you did such a good job. Like great form on that one. Try it again. And she'd try again. She'd miss again. He's like, oh, you, you did better that time. Like you're really holding the, the rifle in your shoulder like you needed to. You're leaning forward like you needed to. Like you're, you're ready. You're going to do it again. She, she'd miss again. And he just kept like encouraging her and building her up. And I just stood back and I was like, that is the heart of our loving father. That's the heart of God right there for us. Is he's not condemning his children as they seek to to hit the mark. And and when they miss, he's not like, hey, you need to quit. He's saying, hey, keep going. Keep going. I already love you. You are already accepted. I am already enough for you. I just love you going on the journey. I love watching you continue to pursue holiness because it's going to be better for you. 
It's going to be a better life for you. He's a loving father. So here's my question for you today. Are you living in Christ or are you living in Adam? These are your options. There's no third option. You're either living in Adam and and, and walking through your life going like, this is who I am. I'm a sinner. I'm identified by my sin. Or you can live in Christ and be identified by his finished work on the cross. And those are your two options. And we, we say this all the time, you guys, like once you're in Christ, you are no longer that sinner. You are now in Christ, a new creation. And this is so important that you understand that that is your new reality and that is who you are today. It's not who you are before Jesus. So we can't look at the world and go, oh, everybody's just good. No, we're not. But with Christ, we're identified by Christ's finished work on the cross. And so when you pursue holiness, you're pursuing who you are at your core. You're becoming more like yourself. It's why religion is so empty if you're trying to live apart from Jesus and be a morally upright person and change your life. You're trying to become something that you're not. But when you're in Christ pursuing holiness and better things for your life, you are trying to become something that you are. And this is the Bible so clear about this. 2 Corinthians 5.16 So from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Although we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so now no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, passed away, the, old, the, the new has come. And I love that idea, like if anyone is in, new, in Christ, you are a new creation. That's an invitation not to live in Adam, but to live in Christ. So I want to ask you some questions. First, I want you to get in your mind that thing. When you think, what in the world is wrong with me? What is that thing? What's that issue that keeps coming up? What's that thing that you want to be set free from? That you, you would go, man, if God today would heal me from this, I would, I would be very thankful. I want you to have that thing in your mind, and I want to ask you a few diagnostic questions with that thing for a moment. Here's the first one. When did you stop trying because you were failing? There's something in your life that you, that you just said, well, that's just who I am. I failed at it so much. I clearly cannot be healed of this, so I'm just not going to try anymore. Here's the next question. When did you start justifying because you couldn't win? You kept falling back into that behavior, that mindset, those decisions, back with those people or that person, and because you felt like you couldn't win, you just justified. You thought, I felt so much shame over this decision and over this behavior that I'm just going to try to make it into a good thing. Or I I surround myself with people who will affirm what I want to believe. And if you're honest, you're like, yeah, I was just trying to justify something I know that isn't good for me. Here's a question. When did you start trying to be good without God? When did you start trying to like live this this, this upright and moral life apart from the grace of Jesus? And, And when did you convince yourself that that was even possible to do that? When did you start thinking, oh no, I've hit the bullseye, Brian. I've, I've arrived. I think I, can, I think I can do this on my own. These are questions that are meant to help us be honest about the fact that I think God wants to heal us from some things. And there's some things that you, uh, all of us in this room have been carrying, I believe, for years that today he wants to set us free from. But the truth is we have to start by this reality that we can't fix it and that we are enslaved to these things. And that's, that's the purpose of this journey we're going on is realizing that when you have sin in your life that, that, that you're not willing to acknowledge or deal with, or you've just said it's just who I am, like it is robbing you of something. It is stealing things from you, stealing things from our church. In fact, John 8 says this, 
It says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But then they got confused. It says, They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? In other words, Jesus, don't you know we're from the right background? We grew up in the right family. Like, like we're, the, we're the chosen people. Like, we don't need to be set free from anybody. We've never been slaves to anything. Some of you are here today and you're like, Brian, I don't think it's that bad. I don't think sin is really hurting me. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You see, the, the, the sin that you allow to live in your life, those things that you've just sort of gotten used to having as part of your life, it's actually enslaving you. And if you're here and you're like, I don't think I'm really enslaved to it, that's fine. Then I challenge you to go the next month and not do it. it you think you can go the next month and not speak that way? Do that thing? Go to that website? Like you think you can go, you can go the next month? What you'll realize is, oh no, I'm enslaved to this thing. It just has power over me. Jesus says, like, anybody who sins becomes a slave to sin. Sin always enslaves us. It steals more from us than we ever could have imagined. But he goes on. He says, now, a slave has no permanent place in a family, right? They're just a slave being used. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What a beautiful reality. Like, that's the invitation, is to be free indeed. And I love the image of adoption, the Bible uses to describe us coming to Jesus. And there are those of you in the room who have adopted before, and it's a beautiful picture of, of, of the, this invitation to be part of the family, to move from being slaves to sin to sons and daughters of the king. But I want you to know, like, it's a journey you got to go on. And some of you have been adopted, yet you're still living like a slave. Like, you're part of the family, yet you're, you're living like a slave. We had some friends who had this little boy that they adopted, and uh, he would eat dinner, and at the end of dinner, he would take food off the table and put it in his pocket and take it to his bedroom. And after a while, they're like, why are you doing that? And they realized it was because he wasn't so sure he would get a meal the next day. Because he was so used to that in his, in his previous family. He just, all he knew was like, we might not eat tomorrow. I might not get fed. I need to hold on to some food. And it was this journey that his parents went on with this little boy to show him like, no, we're going to take care of you. We're going to feed you. We're going to love you. You're going to be safe. And it takes time to embrace the new family that you live in. And I know that some of you, they're like, I'm not ready to trust yet. And that's, that's fine. That's where you're at. I'm not ready to, to lean in and be known yet, right? That's, that's fine. It's where you're at. But, but become a son and daughter. Like, become part of the family. And I think it takes stepping forward with the sin in our life. I want to give you three things to do before we close. Um, I learned these three things from another pastor years ago, and they were just so helpful. I want to share them with you. Three things that we can do with our sin. The first is to declare the first thing is to understand that, like, this is no longer who you are. That person that was, that was living in rage, that person who is, who is overcome by their lust, whoever that person was, that is not you in Christ Jesus. And so sometimes we need to wake up in the morning and declare who we are. And so we're going to do that together today here in church, okay? So let's, let's, let's actually say this out loud. So I want us to say, sin is not my master together. Ready? Let's say it together. Sin is not my master. So sometimes we just have to start by declaring what the truth is, that, that sin isn't my master. The second thing is this, to decide. It's one thing to declare what's true. It's another thing to decide what is true. 
and actually go like, oh, I'm going to believe that. Some of you, when, when you just said that, you're like, yeah, sort of. I don't know, maybe. But you've got to wake up and go, no, no, I am a new creation in Christ. We just read that. It's not, it's not who I am. Jesus is still setting people free from sin that they've struggled with for their entire lives. Like, we need to decide some things. And so we're going to do that right now. We're going to say this. We're going to say, I am a new creation in Christ. You ready? I am a new creation in Christ. So sin is not my master. I am a new creation in Christ. The third thing to do is this, devote. This is the hard one. Some of you, you've declared. You even decided but you haven't devoted because devotion takes sacrifice. Devotion will cost you something. Devotion is something like this. I want to follow Jesus. I want to live the life that he has for me so much that I'm going to change my schedule to place him at the center. Because for some of you, like, it's not something that you're doing that is sin in your life. It's something that you're not doing that is sin in your life. It's that God is calling you to ministry, calling you to serve, calling you to prioritize him and the kingdom of God, and you're like, I got no time for that. And so maybe it's your, maybe it's your schedule. Some of you need some new friends. Like, you gotta, you gotta build some new friends. There are people in your life, again, that are dragging you away from what's good and true about who you are. And it's gonna be a sacrifice. And you're gonna need to decide today, do I want to be set free? And, and is it worth finding some new friends? that are not going to be unhealthy for me. Some of you, it's your budget. And you need to sit down. If you're single, just on your own. If your husband and wife sit down together tonight, and you're going to just look at your budget and go, we're going to align our budget around the kingdom of God. Because again, like, you got to go. Like, is this, is this who I am or not? Because there is not one square inch of your life that Jesus doesn't want to impact. And just like I'm inviting you to get baptized in a moment, this baptism water is going to cover a whole person. That's the whole point. We try to make sure you get all the way in there, right? Because that's, that's the way that Jesus' grace is going to impact your life. He wants to cover every square inch of your life. And so I want us to say this. I want us to say, therefore, I have the power to change. Okay? Say it together. Therefore, I have the power to change. Sin is not my master, right? I'm a new creation in Christ. And therefore, I have the power to change. And it all starts by being honest. Just honest about ourselves, honest about our sin. I'll close with this. I was reading about um, this article that was in a British newspaper called The Times back in 1908. And they were asking people to write in, various writers, to answer this question, what is wrong with the world? Which you can imagine the different responses. So they were getting all these like long many page responses to that question. What is wrong with the world? All the people blaming different things. And G.K. Chesterton responded with this. Simply he wrote, I am wrong. I'm what's wrong with the world. The world doesn't get sorted out unless I do. And I love that honesty. Like, okay, I'm done blaming everybody else because I'm what's wrong with the world. Nothing changes unless I do. And so here's the hope. Uh, I wrote this down this week. And uh, it started rhyming, so it became a poem. But I just want to read this for you. It's real simple. Our hope is in this. When you miss the mark, Jesus doesn't. When you were passive, Jesus wasn't. When you aren't holy, Jesus is. And when you act like you're dead, Jesus lives. So we can take that with you here today. And I want us to spend a moment... And uh, since we like getting uncomfortable around here, I want us to actually spend a moment in confession. 
And, and I want to give you a chance to do this. And um, what I'm going to do, I just, I'm going to get on my knees. And I know there's not much room here, but if you want to find a place in the aisle or turn around to your seat, wherever, I want us to, as a church family, see what might happen if we get honest before a holy God about who we are and receive his grace. And so I want to, if you just want to take a second and encourage you, find a place, get on your knees if you want to. And uh, let's, just, let's just confess to God and uh, invite him and his grace to cover our sins and our weakness here today. Loving Father, I just want to start with myself and say I am so unworthy of your love. And the more aware of my sin I become, the more great your grace becomes in my life. So God, I just confess uh, my words, um, when I speak them to the people in my life, they... They don't always bring life, God. Sometimes I say things that bring death. And I want to ask your forgiveness for that. I, I pray you'd, you'd make me aware of the power of my words. And God, as my understanding of my sin grows, I pray that your grace might abound. God, I pray over unforgiveness in my heart. There are people in my life that are hard to forgive. And there are things that pop back up. And... Uh, God, would you help me to forgive, forgive others as I ask you to forgive me? And it's hard. I, uh, I don't know how to do it. And yet, God, as I become more and more aware of my sin, I, I just pray that your grace might abound in my life. God, I pray over my pride. Um, I have a lot of pride in my life. I, even right now, I, I worry about what people might think, what people might see. And uh, God, that's just not my job. I pray I would only worry about what you think and what you see. God, where I become more and more aware of my sin, I pray that your grace might abound. God, I pray over my mind. My thoughts are not always pure. And I ask your forgiveness for that. I pray you'd heal that part of my mind and God, that I'd want something better for myself and for others. And God, that you'd make me aware and as I become more and more aware of my sin, Father, I pray that your grace might abound in my life. Father, would you heal our church? Um, there are real things going on in this room that we need to be set free from. And God, we are powerless to change. And I think that's the first place that we need to be to become those that trust in your grace, God, is to acknowledge that we are powerless to change ourselves, God, and that we, we need you uh, to give us grace, to change us. So God, I pray that we'd leave this place and trusting in you in a deeper way, God. And Father, would your grace abound in our lives? as we become more and more aware of our sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you want to get baptized, I encourage you to go out to the lobby there. We've got people that are ready to go to uh, connect with you, and we'll worship together. Love you guys.